Good morning to everyone. And greetings to you, not only from our denomination, but from the Northwest Conference of Covenant Churches. There are um, over 140 churches in this conference, and I'm privileged to be back here after living away for 14 years in two other um, calls and uh, to be assisting in service to our conference churches. Our role, um, I share this role with uh, Jeff Burton, um, Reverend Jeff Burton, and uh, we are charged with caring for pastors and ministry staff in our conference. And there are over 600 pastors and ministry staff in those churches. Um, and so we provide both individual and group care um, in, and support in a wide variety of ways, one-on-one -on -one and small groups and large groups and however we can make ourselves useful to care and support for people in ministry. And that includes their spouses, so you can actually come close to doubling that number, and there will never be enough of us to go around. So you are charged with caring and supporting your pastor and your ministry staff, too. We're all in it together, as President Gary Walter of the Covenant often says. I'm privileged to be here today and um, to share with you the Word of God. The Isaiah passage was actually a lead-in to the gospel text for today. Um, and so let me read from Matthew 15. Um, I'm going to start, Maya, with verses 1 through 3, remember, that are not written, and then verses 10 through 28, which will be on the screen. Matthew 15. Then the Pharisees and legal experts came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why are your disciples breaking the elders' rules handed down to us? They don't ritually purify their hands by washing before they eat. Jesus replied, Why do you break the command of God by keeping the rules handed down to you? Verse 10. Jesus called the crowd near and said to them, Listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that contaminates a person in God's sight. What comes out of the mouth, it's what comes out of the mouth that contaminates the person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what you just said? Jesus replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father didn't plant will be pulled up. Leave the Pharisees alone. They are blind people who are guides to blind people. But if a blind person leads another blind person, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter spoke up. Explain this riddle to us. Jesus said, don't you understand yet? Don't you know that everything that goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what goes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And that's what contaminates a person in God's sight. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual sins, thefts, false testimonies, and insults. These contaminate a person in God's sight. But eating without washing hands doesn't contaminate in God's sight. From there, Jesus went to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from those territories came out and shouted, Show me mercy, son of David. My daughter is suffering terribly 
from demon possession. But he didn't respond to her at all. His disciples came and urged him, send her away. She keeps shouting out after us. Jesus replied, I've been sent only to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, it is not good to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. And right then, her daughter was healed. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth this day and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, you who are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here in Minnesota, we just moved back a year and a half ago, um, We and tens of thousands of other people are all excited about this week. This week when the Minnesota State Fair opens. (laughs) You know that it's one of the largest and best attended state fairs in the country. And there's so many interesting agricultural and educational exhibits, um, as well as a wide variety of entertainment and merchandise, and food, food, you know. There have been so many creative ways to offer food on a stick at the Minnesota State Fair. It's always been, it's long been one of the distinctives. Whether you know that or not, you native Minnesotans, it is distinctive. A few years ago, the novelty of chocolate-covered bacon on a stick hit national news as people, even food critics, were raving about that wonderful, creamy, crisp taste sensation at the fair. I wonder if you've ever stopped, I'm a former math teacher, (laughs) to imagine how many thousands, tens of thousands of sticks of food have been served at the Minnesota State Fair. Um, Think about it. You know, it's cheese curds and fruit and olives and corn dogs and cotton candy and alligator meat and chocolate-covered bacon and caramel-coated bananas and deep-fried walleye and corn on a cob, and there's more, isn't there? Lots more. And all of that food on a stick that will be consumed during those 12 days of this year's State Fair, just imagine. Food fun is how it's described on the State Fair website food fun. But there were many food issues for Jews in Jesus' day that were not so fun. Tasting chocolate-covered bacon would have been a no-no for any faithful Jew. Uh, A valid reason to really question someone's faith and faithfulness because bacon, pork, was prohibited. The Levitical laws prohibited pork in both the written tradition of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and in the oral interpretations and traditions that have been passed down from generation to generation. 
What one chose to put into one's mouth was a visible witness to whether or not one was keeping God's commandments. And and following those um, distinct uh, rules of life that had been taught by rabbis and by parents. So when prohibited food was put into your mouth, you became defiled, unclean, unfaithful, unacceptable to others. So every Jew watched carefully what they ate, even restricting their table fellowship to eating only with others who followed those Levitical laws as they did. And they excluded anyone, anyone who put unacceptable things into their mouths. Gathering around the table was a very good way to help other Jews stay faithful to those religious traditions. Now Jesus engaged in many, many discussions with, uh, about faithfulness with the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem in particular. The discussions that are recorded in the Gospels reflect the Middle Eastern way of engaging in issues not avoiding, but it's a particular style of dialogue that's been continued over the centuries by rabbis and the rabbinic tradition. Rabbinic teaching methods encourage listening and recording key points and debating both the majority and minority viewpoints. When you're grappling with anything from interpretation of scripture to how to live faithfully in a changing contemporary culture. So I would invite that chocolate-covered bacon on a stick might have been a reason for rabbis to engage in discussion about any changes in the food laws. Now, Jesus was a teacher of teachers, a highly regarded rabbi who was also engaged in this style of Middle Eastern dialogue. Remember when he was 12? and stayed back in the temple and ended up engaged in dialogue with the highest, most learned rabbis. He learned this at an early age. It's a style that's not always comfortable to us. Uh, Perhaps your church meetings have gotten about as tame as most churches I've been in lately. Don't debate anything. It might hurt somebody's feelings. That's not the way they engaged in these days. Um, Not like our Western culture. So when the religious leaders came to ask questions about his way of life and his disciples' way of life compared to the traditions, Jesus provided fresh interpretations, opened the dialogue to new applications from a different perspective, a different viewpoint, from God's viewpoint. Earlier in the week, a group of religious leaders had come north from Jerusalem to Gennesaret near the lake to ask Jesus why he his disciples were breaking yet another traditional practice that of not washing their hands carefully before every meal don't get worried mom there's more to this than hand washing before you eat Um, Jesus first spoke directly to these leaders and broadened the issue uh, they, they had brought to him I'm going to quote from Clarence Jordan from the Cotton Patch version of Matthew 15. 
he's very uh, terse in his interpretation, colloquial language. He says, Isaiah was surely talking about you when he said, these people cherish me with their mouths, but their hearts are miles away from me. Their teachings are just man-made rules. And then Jesus invited the crowd to come closer and to hear the truth about this issue. And he said, listen now and get this straight. It isn't what goes into your mouth, but what comes out of it that contaminates you. And then the disciples came up to Jesus and they said, "Uh, did you realize that uh, when those people heard what you said, they were all riled up? Well, some people do get all riled up by Jesus, don't they? When Jesus chooses especially to discuss how often they should, when he chooses not to discuss how often they should wash their hands, but and, and even whether or not they should eat chocolate-covered bacon at the state fair. Jesus is not going to engage that one with you. Jesus turns the dialogue from making sure that we wash our hands before eating to the deeper issue of watching what we say to others on state fair day or any other day of our lives. According to Jesus, the central issue in practicing our faith is paying attention to what comes out of our mouths. Martin Luther was the great reformer of the 16th century, one of the key people whom God sent in that day. And Martin Luther used his mouth to ask deeper questions about faith practices, questions which prompted the Protestant Reformation. In a Palm Sunday sermon, Luther stated, quote, The church is the mouth house of God. I like that, the mouth house of God, end quote. Luther was constantly emphasizing that we are called individually and collectively to speak up about God in our daily lives and whenever we gather together. Our primary witness is oral. Our mouths are the true house of the Lord, the true place where faith is revealed and shared. Today's gospel reading presents us with three case studies of oral witnesses. The religious leaders from Jerusalem, the disciples who were the everyday followers of Jesus, and an unnamed individual who was not Jewish, but a Canaanite. Not male, but female. Not baptized, but an outsider from the Sin City region of Tyre and Sidon. Today's text invites us to consider whose mouth speaks the most faithful witness to God. So case study number one draws our attention to the oral witness of the religious leaders from Jerusalem. These leaders were sincerely focused on how to be faithful to the commandments of God. They were sincere about that. 
and also sincere about following the faith practices that have been carefully passed from generation to generation since Moses. They had listened to their parents and their grandparents tell about the fathers of the faith, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they had learned the teachings of the rabbis and the leaders over the centuries since the captivity in Egypt and the Exodus experience of 40 years. But Jesus named the truth in a way that poked at assumptions that had been held by every generation since Moses. Jesus said that they were too focused on outward faith practices. Jesus was calling them to look deeper, to examine the traditions of the past, to listen to what was coming out of their mouths. Stop focusing on what goes into your body, Jesus said, and pay more attention to what you are saying to others about God For what you say comes from your heart and reveals what you really believe. Jesus was touching on matters of the heart and asking about the nature of their relationship with God. He was inviting deeper discussion about whether they truly believed God to be merciful and loving, like a caring father. Jesus was stirring their hearts just like a farmer stirs up the soil in preparation for growth. And Jesus riled up their their attention for the purpose of helping them move from traditions that excluded people from becoming part of the community to inviting people to come together and to pray, to freely express their praises and their laments and their thanks to a loving and gracious God. So the religious leaders were wrestling inside when Jesus spoke. They were caught between their traditions and Jesus' interpretation of scripture. Their hearts were not yet ready to speak those words of invitation to non-Jewish neighbors, to strangers, to immigrants, to men and to women alike. They could not yet witness using those words of welcome and inclusion from the prophet Isaiah, who said, Come and join us in worship, for God's house is a house of prayer for all people. Case study number two focuses our attention on the oral witness of the 12 disciples. The spotlight turns to these disciples soon after they have left the Jerusalem leaders and the crowd at the moment when they encounter the Canaanite woman. Surely these who are Jesus' closest disciples, especially these who have been called into intensive training with Jesus, the master rabbi. Surely they should clearly understand God's call, Jesus' call, to pay attention to what comes out of their mouths. But they quickly and verbally express their impatience with the Canaanite woman because she persists 
in speaking up and speaking out to Jesus, shouting after him. And in trying to protect themselves and to protect Jesus from this strange woman, a female, you know. Keep away from them. Um, Their words reveal their inner feelings about her. Again, in Clarence Jordan's straightforward translation. Tell her to scram, Jesus, because she's making too much noise. She's bothering us. Jesus said, call them to listen carefully. Over and over, he said, listen, listen. So why did the disciples miss that first opportunity to hear and apply the truth that Jesus said emphasized? Remember what he said? It isn't what goes into your mouth, but what comes out of it that contaminates you. So when the disciples spoke up, the best advice they could offer Jesus was to get rid of this noisy outsider, this pesky woman. They advised Jesus to ignore the cries of one more single mom whose child was suffering. They advised Jesus to send her away, to shut the door in her face, effectively telling her that the Son of God did not want to hear her cries much less to respond to her plea for mercy. Their words revealed that their hearts were contaminated. They were unable to understand how much God cares for all God's children, especially for those crying out for help and for healing. There were some hard and resistant corners in their hearts, and so their mouths spoke words of rejection. There was no mercy in their response to her cries, no kindness. They were not yet the mouth house of God, not yet ready to speak out the truth of Exodus 34, the truth that God is gracious and merciful, very patient, abounding with love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands of generations, willing to forgive wickedness and rebellion and sin. Case study number three turns our focus to the oral witness of the Canaanite woman. Listen again to the three responses that come out of her mouth. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Lord, help me. Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. Three times this woman, this outsider, this desperate mother cries out to Jesus as her Lord. She asks for mercy. She asks on behalf of her suffering daughter. She asks for help. She's willing to accept even a few crumbs falling from God's table. She's willing to sit beneath the table in the lowest, most humble position 
in order to receive help for her beloved daughter. She is not riled up by dialogue with Jesus, but she persistently shares the deepest concerns of her heart with him, with the one whom she names as the Lord, her God. With her mouth, she speaks what she truly believes, that the Lord God is merciful, that the Lord God Almighty can help her daughter, that even a few crumbs from the Lord, the master provider, will be enough. Was not this Canaanite woman the best mouth house of God that day? The gospel writer Matthew was one disciple who was there that day. And he listened and recorded what happened following the Canaanite woman's unexpected witness. Matthew tells us that Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And Matthew then says, Her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus first affirms that the Canaanite woman is the best witness of the day. Affirms her as a woman whose heart clearly reveals deep faith in God. And Jesus then answers her persistent prayers with good news about her daughter's healing. In today's gospel, the focus moves from our hands to our mouths. We are being called to move from judging others to assessing our own words as a witness to what's really in our hearts. Jesus is calling us to listen to the words that come out of our mouths each day, calling us to listen to ourselves as we speak with family, with friends, with co-workers, with neighbors, and even with strangers. It's not what goes into your mouth, Jesus says, but what comes out of it that contaminates you. If we're honest in our self-assessment, it's clear that sometimes we are like the religious leaders. Sometimes we focus solely on traditional rules of behavior. And what sometimes comes out of our mouth are judgments about what others have failed to do, about actions which we deem unacceptable. These are words with no mercy, words that exclude others based on their outward behavior. And there are other times when we're more like the disciples, easily irritated by those who come along with challenging issues. So often we are impatient, turning away from those who persist in asking for help, especially help that pushes beyond our skills and abilities and resources. And so we're quick to speak words of rejection just like the disciples, trying to get rid of those strangers whose cries make us uncomfortable, 
whose persistence bothers us. So we label them as pests or pesky people. And their needs overwhelm us. We are called to listen to our own witness. What we believe in our hearts is exhibited in our words each day. In conversations with all sorts of people. In our questions and our gossip. Whenever we criticize and whenever we affirm others. When we offer advice and when we ask for help. What comes out of our mouths reveals what we believe in our hearts. And our words either diminish or encourage the faith of others. Now Jesus just took a few minutes to interact with this woman, to listen and respond to this Canaanite woman. Jesus heard the cry from her heart on behalf of her suffering daughter. A cry revealing her great faith in God as the only answer to the problems that she faced. And Jesus revealed the very heart of God as he responded with loving, caring words of affirmation and healing. May the words that we speak this week reveal great faith from our hearts. Deep faith in the only God who is gracious and merciful, who is very patient, who is full of love, who is continually forgiving our sins and healing our afflictions. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, have mercy on us. Whenever we feel excluded by harsh, judgmental words spoken by others. O Lord God Almighty, help our faith to grow stronger and deeper until our words, the words from our mouths, consistently reveal your presence within our hearts. O Lord, our master provider, help us to be your mouth house with words of mercy and grace and love so that this congregation will truly become a house of prayer for all people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.